concept than we have previously. We're in John chapter 6. John chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn there. John chapter 6. And we're going to begin to deal with this next level of intensity in relationship to Jesus' ministry. Up to this point in time, he has been involved in healing on the Sabbath day intentionally so that he can proclaim the simple fact that he is Lord over the Sabbath, that he has the ability to heal, the ability to forgive, the ability to declare himself as the one who is in charge of all things. Now, in John chapter 5, as he begins to bring forth that declaration, the Pharisees got very upset at him because their understanding was that no one was to be involved in any type of work on the Sabbath. Jesus says the Father is working even now. He never stopped. And so I also continue to do the works of the Father. So chapter 5 could easily have been entitled, um, Who Am I? Who Am I? As Jesus declares to everybody there, with all the witnesses provided from John the Baptist to the Scriptures, to the Sabbath healing, to the word of the Father spoken when he was baptized, speaking out from heaven saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. So he clarifies to them the simple fact that who I am is the very son of God. But now he's going to move to the next level of his presentation to the people and to the disciples. Up to this time, the disciples do not realize that Jesus is God. They don't understand that. They know he's remarkable. They know he's an incredible prophet. But they haven't come to the place where they comprehend that Jesus is God himself in bodily form. That he's taken on this form in order that he can communicate with us. And that he can be used by the Father to do whatever needs to be done so that people might be brought to him and receive eternal life. That was God's intention and God's purpose. Jesus was brought down here to share who God was. And then secondly, to declare to them how they could have a relationship with the Father and become part of his kingdom, referred to as the kingdom of God. So we've been walking through those concepts and ideas all the way up to now. And now Jesus has begun to begin to declare his absolute authority in two separate areas. He's going to talk about his authority over physics over the physical nature of the earth. And he's going to show his, his incredible authority over creation itself, that he has the ability to create from nothing. And he has the ability to command the creation to respond to him and obey him in whatever manner he chooses to tell them. This is a phenomenal thing, something which no prophet Nobody had ever come anywhere near. And the result of that will be the declaration of Peter when he says, we recognize that you are the Holy One of God. You are God's one and only Son. Where else can we go? No matter how difficult the call is that you give us, it is the only one that we can respond to because you are God. And so we begin Ourself moving into chapter 6. Now, as he begins to declare his power, he heads it up with a declaration that we found earlier by God the Father when he talks to Moses. 
you remember the burning bush back in the Old Testament? Moses comes before the burning bush. And God speaks to him. And as he was there sharing with God, he says, how will they know who it is that has sent me? And he turns to me and he says, let them know, as Bob said, I am has sent you. I am. I am everything. I am all things. I am able. I am. Jesus will respond with this same declaration. Ego in me. Say that with me. Ego in me. See, you learned some Greek. Try it again. Ego in me. It simply means I am. Catch that ego in there. Ego in me. I am. So Jesus will declare to the disciples, I am, in the midst of their fear, in the midst of their sense of impending death, and they will respond to him, recognizing him as God himself, present in human form. These two new signs, the ability to have power to create and the ability to have power over creation will be the next major declarations by Jesus concerning who he is and what he is. In the midst of stating that, he brings forth a whole new paradigm for everyone to look at. And the paradigm is this. Paul shares it with us in 1 Corinthians in a completely different way that's much clearer than it is here, but you'll get it. So I want you to read that with me. I think we have it on the screen coming up here. Read that with me. Ready? Hey, let's all stand and read this because it's always a good idea to have a little movement, right? Read it with me. It's on the screen. 1 Corinthians 15, 15. It says this. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These perishable bodies of ours are not able to live forever. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, heaven, is unable to be occupied by people of flesh and blood. They must gain a completely new body. An immortal body, an imperishable body that's able to function and respond to God. You can be seated. Thank you. This new paradigm of life begins to help us understand that this life down here is no longer an important one. That this life here is one we only live with view towards what is to come. That heaven itself is within our grasp, both here, calling the kingdom of God, and then forever after that. So we would be foolish to focus all of our energies and our thoughts and ideas on this point in time. Because this short period that we have here of some maybe a hundred years is so small as compared to eternity that we would be fools to focus on this time rather than the future time. And that's the declaration of Jesus when he says, do not work for the food that spoils. Don't get involved in the spoiled life. Instead, get involved in seeking the eternal life that Jesus brings and the life that he wants to bring forth through your life as you continue to focus on him and allow his spirit to renew you and transform you. So his point is, this world is not my home, despite the fact that I have complete authority over it. 
This world is not my home, despite the fact that I have complete authority over it. Jesus has both power over creation and the power to create. Can you say that with me? Jesus has both power over creation and the power to create. Now, that's what I want you to get today. So you find yourself at the end of this passage going, oh, this is what Jesus is saying, that he has power over creation and the power to create. But our focus needs to be not here in this place, but instead upon that future place that he has in mind for us and the transformation that was taking place in our lives on a daily basis basis. Until the I am is in you, it's impossible for you to enter into heaven. So until the I am is in you, it's impossible for you to enter into heaven. Jesus will say, until you are able to eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot enter into heaven. You can't get there. But when you do that, you will be transformed and you'll begin to be made into the kind of person that is immortal And that has an imperishable body that will continue on forever. It's not just our spirits that when we die that go to heaven. Our bodies will be transformed. And we will have a completely different body. Can I hear a hallelujah on that? Those of us that are over 60 are going, please. Can I have the 30-year-old? Please. And the Lord's saying, far better than that, Lee. Far, far better than that. An immortal, imperishable, wonderful, perfect body that functions without fear and without failure. That is his cry to us. And he says, you can begin to experience some of that now in your worship and your interaction with me. And I will take that and multiply it so far more that you can't even imagine what it is. So Jesus finishes up chapter 5. He leaves the Pharisees here and something has happened. It's caused him to have an emotional response. And he's quite, he's struggling with himself and he leaves this part of the Sea of of Galilee and he goes to the other end of the sea. He wants to be off by himself with his disciples. And what has happened is John the Baptist has been beheaded. So the night before, John the Baptist's head has been cut off, put to death, and Jesus knows this and he says it's time for us to move on. So you can feel this, this sense of he is my flesh and blood. He's part of my life. He's the one who set everything up. He's the greatest man that ever lived on this earth next to myself and I'm not a man. And he leaves and he moves to the Sea of Tiberias. It says a huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his signs. As he healed the sick, then Jesus, after he was away from them, climbed a hill and he sat down with his disciples all around him. But as he looked down the hill, he saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him and turning to Philip, he said, Philip, where can we find bread for these people to eat? And Philip said, Lord, that's silly. There's about 10,000 people. There's 5,000 men. We could not feed them all, even with months and months of wages itself. But Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and he said, Well, there's a young boy here with five pieces of loaves of bread and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? And Jesus said, That's a great idea. Tell everybody to sit down. And so they all sat down in various groups. 
And Jesus took the loaves, he gave thanks to God, and he distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same thing with the fish. And they all ate, all 10,000 people at least, as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. And they picked up the pieces and they filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. And when the people saw this miraculous sign happening before their very eyes, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet, the one that we were expecting, the Messiah. And when Jesus saw they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away down to the hills by himself. Now that evening, Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him, but darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't shown up. So they finally got into the boat, and against their better idea, they headed across the lake towards Capernaum, and a huge storm began to sweep down upon him. The sea got rougher and rougher. And they rode about three miles, and they weren't going anywhere. They would row, but they couldn't go anywhere. They were stopped by the winds. And suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat, and they were terrified. But he called out to them, don't be afraid, I am. Don't be afraid, I am. And then they were eager to let him into the boat and immediately they arrived at their destination. You see, Jesus in this first section shows us that he has authority over everything that lives. He presents this truth and he proclaims that truth to all that are around him. But he says to not be involved in looking after or seeking for this food that I gave you that's just going to spoil anyway. I have the physical power to create anything, anywhere, anytime, as God always has had that power and demonstrated previously. But that is not the primary point of life. So they saw this huge crowd. Jesus turns to Philip and says, how are we going to buy bread to get them something to eat? And Philip says, Lord, there's no way we could get enough bread. And Jesus was just testing him anyway. He said, I know they didn't have enough bread. So I just tested him. And he gets everybody sat down and begins to feed every single person there. Jesus does something completely new. Nothing like this has ever happened before. I, I assume the little boy got to eat first. It wasn't a great little picture, though. You go, this little boy comes, hey, I've got five loaves and a couple of fish. That's all I've got. I'm willing to give that up. And Jesus says, what a great move. Watch this. And he takes this little boy's offering and he turns it into this wonderful meal for some 10,000 people. 5,000 men plus all the women that would be with him and the children. Amazing. They all eat and they're full. He says, I have the power to do what nobody else can. He is the one who can provide when nobody else has the ability. I, I remember a story, it's a true story. It was a young lady, she was getting ready to take a little lunch break, and that day she didn't, didn't have much, but she had a little thing of cookies, and she'd been looking forward to it with her coffee. And she, So she went over to the table to sit down, it was a little cafeteria area, and someone else sat down with her, and she wasn't really excited about that, but this is what it is, there just weren't that many seats, and she sat down, and 
uh, she was kind of mumbling to herself, looking down at her purse, and I went over to drink her coffee, and there her cookies were sitting there on the, on the counter, and, and he reaches over and takes one of the cookies and begins to eat it. And she's like, I can't believe he did that. He took one of my cookies, and then he turns to her, and he takes one of the cookies out, and he gives it to her. She says, enjoy. She's going, Enjoy. These are my cookies. What do you think you're doing? And there's about six cookies, and it goes back and forth. He takes one, he gives her one. He takes one, he gives her one. They're all done. She's thinking, I got three stinking cookies of my six. I was going to have a delightful time. He gets up and he says, God bless you. Have a great day. And she's thinking, I don't want God to bless you and don't have a wonderful day. He walks off. She reaches in her purse, picks it up, looks down, and there are cookies in her purse. And she realizes, I've been eating his cookies the whole time. (laughs) And what I want you to get with this picture is that Jesus is trying to teach us something about life, how God provides for us so much. And oftentimes we think we're doing it on our own. I'm taking care of providing everything. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm providing you with everything that you ever needed, always, intensely. This last few weeks, uh, for Mary and I, we're, we're going through this stuff with refining our house and stuff. And... Money keeps coming in. John, don't write that down. John's our finance guy. He's taking care of us. And it was, I walked yesterday, I got another $2,000 sent to me. I said, man, are you kidding me? I didn't realize that was supposed to come in. And it was like, oh, yeah, that was set aside in escrow incorrectly. I thought I was paying too much. God provides for us in a variety of ways when we have a point in time of need. And oftentimes we find ourselves a little irritated Because he didn't provide the way that we thought he should have or the manner in which he should have. This is a marvelous picture of God's ability to create something out of nothing. Jesus shows his ability to create something new from something old. He changes the laws of physics and gives them a lesson in quantum physics. How it really happens. Now, he's the only one that can do this, so it's kind of unfair But that's what he does. He changes the entire state of the food itself and turns it into something completely different so that all 10,000 people can have a physical eating of all of this food. Talk about shock and awe. How did he do it? How does he just appear? Did they pick it up and they ate it and it went back in their hand again and they ate some more and went back? It doesn't tell us. It just says the people are so aware of this miraculous thing that they wanted to make him king. Makes sense, doesn't it? Wouldn't you love to have a king who provides all the food you want anytime you want it? It doesn't cost anything. No taxes needed here. It's yours. Here you go. What do you want? Lord, could we have a little something other than just bread and fish, though? I kind of like, you know, a little bit of meat. Could we have uh, cattle? Could we do, you know, what are we doing here? Because he does both. It's interesting. It's both bread and fish that he produces, in this case, marvelous amounts to feed everybody. So let's make him king. He's the prophet. But you see, in reality, that's a demotion for Jesus. Why would God want to become king? Why would he ever even think about becoming king? And that is his point. Why are you working for food that spoils? Why are you involved in the kingship on this earth here? This is practice. The game is coming. When you move into eternity, you're going to begin to experience life as it was meant to be. And relationships as they were meant to happen. 
And all things is God intended for them to happen all along. So he leaves this mob mentality. And he goes and he hides himself. And the disciples head back down to this place and get ready in the boat. Now I want to give you Paul's quote where he's trying to teach us about this new paradigm of life. And he says this. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Hebrews 13. We're looking forward to a home yet to come. So the feeding of the 5,000 was the next new sign declaring God's deity, who Jesus was, and also our need to begin to focus not upon the physical, but upon the spiritual. And that as we focus upon the food that does never spoil, God will provide for us all that's necessary in food that spoils itself. So that's the first picture. Second sign is the walk. So the first one is 5,000 being fed. Second sign is the walk. So Jesus stays back. The men come down. They get in the boat. They're waiting for Jesus, waiting for Jesus, waiting for Jesus. Jesus didn't tell them to wait for him, by the way. If you study these sections, he actually told them to go across. They were supposed to have left. Not wait till nighttime when the winds come up and it's too difficult. But they decide to wait. We're waiting for Jesus. Wait. Oh, he's not coming. We're going to get out of here. So they jump in the boat. It's nighttime. It's about 1 a.m. in the morning. They're rowing across, the winds come up, and it becomes a huge storm. Somebody's in the back bailing water out. They're scared literally to death. This is it. It's over. We're done. We're not going to make it to the other side of the sea. Suddenly, in the midst of this sense of death is coming, they see this apparition starting to walk across on the water. And it's kind of lit up. And they're going, what the heck is that? And they stop, and the water starts coming into the boat. Starts getting a little worse because the storm is blowing. And as it gets closer, they look and they go, I think it's Jesus. And they're going, hold it. Only God can walk on water. Only God has the ability to, to determine to firm out water itself, to cause creation to bow before him. It's impossible. It can't be Jesus. But as they got closer, Peter cries out, says, Lord, is it you? And Jesus says, yes. He says, he didn't ask me to come. That's Peter, right? He says, I'm going to go walk on the water. What, what was with that? I just want him to get in the boat. I said, Lord, get in the boat, slow things down, take things calm. Peter says, let me come out on the water on you. He said, okay. And then I think what happens to Peter, he starts to get out. He jumps out of the boat and he realizes, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? And there's huge waves and he can't even see Jesus. And he begins to sink. And he cries out and says, Jesus, save me. And Jesus reaches over and grabs his hand, brings him over to the boat. And the storm stops. And immediately it says the boat is on the shore in Capernaum. And all the disciples go, he's not who we thought he was. He is God. He is God. He's not a man. He's not a prophet. He has power over all of creation, not just the ability to create and to heal. He has total, complete power. He said he was, I am. Ego imi. I am. He declared himself to be God himself. Take courage. Don't be afraid. I am with you. I am taking care of the situation. God is here. 
And you have a purpose that's far greater than you simply perishing here in this spot, in this place. And they begin to grasp this thing and begin to understand what it is that God is calling them towards. But it's just a little too much for them to get a handle on. On the other side, I thought, Peter's got a great bedtime story for his grandchildren, doesn't he? Wouldn't you love to have that story? I sit down with the twins. Hey, guys, how are you doing? Good. Hey, let me tell you the story about me and Jesus walking on water. No way. No way. You walked on water with Jesus. John's over on the side saying, uh, don't forget to tell him about you sinking, Peter. Don't forget about that part as well. We remember that one. Do you remember that? Peter? He's going, come on, John, back off. Yeah, I walked on water with Jesus. We always leave out the other parts of it. Wonderful stories over and over again with the apostles about who God was and what he had done in the midst of their struggle. Do you see all the different lessons, though? This is one of those sections where you get to see all these great lessons. One of them is God doesn't need your boat. Eh? That's probably obvious, isn't it? God doesn't need your boat. And he doesn't need your food. Jesus says, the world's not my home. I have authority over all of it, but it's not my home. And I have no desire to be king of this area. What I do have a desire for is to be using you to experience who I am and how I can work. The Zoe life, which is the word for spirit life, the Zoe life is available to all who are willing to respond to me. And that is life with hope and faith and joy and peace. It's filled with all the things that you can't grab a hold of that are invisible, but that make life work. That's what you need to be working for, the things that make life work. Second lesson I see here is that when we fail to listen to God and we get in trouble, regularly, Jesus will reach out a hand and help us out. Regularly. And I've seen that so much in my life. When I fail and I am foolish, God steps in and helps me through my difficulties and my struggles and my idiocy. And he says, Lee, it's okay Just learn from this, grow from this, as he grabs my hand and puts me back into the boat. Same kind of pictures out of the people with the food. I'm kind of a, you made your bed, you got to lie in it guy. You guys all know that, don't you? It's not like, you made your bed, you got to lie in it. So you come to me and say, oh, it was just awful what I did. I spent all my money on M&M's and I don't have anything for gas. And I go, dude, you have two legs, you can walk. Huh? You're not going to give me money for gas? Do you know how to spell no? No, it's not happening. Walk, enjoy. Next time, you won't buy all the candy. You won't have extra drinks at the bar. You won't do it. You've you got to learn here. Jesus looks at these 5,000 people who show up and they don't have any food. And he could easily have said, as the disciples said, just tell them to go home and get something. Jesus says, no, no, no. Let's feed them. I'm going to do something incredibly special here. I'm going to feed them. He had compassion on the crowds and he chose to feed them. He overlooked their foolishness and their failure. And that's where he reminds me, Lee, sometimes you just need to overlook and just buy them the gas and shut up. It's not lesson time. You don't have to teach them anything. Just be quiet. Use the generosity that I've given to you and give it towards them. Okay, third lesson I got in here. Walking on water is a minor thing. It's a minor thing. It's hardly even worth mentioning. John throws it in the chapter of 70 verses, and he uses about seven verses to talk about it, because he doesn't consider it to be a big deal. 
He doesn't talk about Peter. I've got that on Matthew in case you're wondering where it comes from. He doesn't talk about how Peter responded or what went on because he thinks nothing of it. The only reason he brings it up is because it told them that Jesus had power over creation, that he could tell creation what to do. That's the only reason he brings it up. Then he takes the next 50 verses. Yes, folks, we have 50 more verses. He takes the next 50 verses and he begins to share with us the important things of life. So he's taught us Jesus has power to create and power over creation. Can you say that with me? Jesus has power to create and power over creation. Now, that's an important thing. And so he's going on trying to teach us this simple truth. He's already walked through clarification and verification of who he was in John chapter 5. He lays out all the witnesses declared, this is who I am. And all John is about is trying to help us to understand that Jesus has authority over life, not just living. And that's the next section of verses. It says, starting with verse 22, the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw the disciples had left. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. And when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were around, they got into their boats, they went across to Capernaum, and they looked for him. When they found him, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Amen, amen. Okay, is what it is. Amen, amen. I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the reasons for the signs. The purpose of signs are to point you to something. They're not anything in and of themselves. They're a sign. You misunderstood what the signs were before. He says, don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. And they replied, we want to do works like you did. We want to make food out of nothing. And Jesus says, let me tell you the only work that God wants you to be involved in. That's this. Believe in the one whom he has sent. And they said, well, show us another sign if you want us to believe in you. After all, even our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. In other words, Moses is even better than you. He did this for years. Jesus takes a deep breath. He says, first of all, Moses didn't give anybody anything. God provided what he directed Moses in relationship what to do for all the people. It was God who provided the manna. How many of those people who ate that manna died? All of them. And that's what Jesus says. All the people who ate that manna died, every single one of them. But now the father offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven. He's going to keep saying that he comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said, well, give us this bread. Jesus said, I am the bread. I'm the bread of life. Whoever believes in me, whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. But you haven't believed in me, even though you have seen me. Now, here's the process that we all have to go through in relationship to Jesus. You have to come. You have to come to Jesus. And you begin to figure out what's going on. So you show up. Secondly, you have to see him. And the word for see here is similar to the the word to be used in Africa when it says, I see you. And you can only say that to somebody that you already know. 
I know you. I know who you are. So I said, I see you, Jeremiah, and I know who Jeremiah is. I know his background. I know his wife. I know his friends. I know his fallacies. <laughs> Some of them. Okay? And I know many of you. I said, I know you. And that's what he's saying. You come and you see. You look deeply into who Jesus is so that you know who he is. You come, you look, you see. Those who come, those who see, then you must believe. I've given you the witnesses. I've given you the miracles. But you must believe in the one who came down from heaven. The bread that came down from heaven. He says it seven different times. I came down from heaven. Where did Jesus come from? Heaven. Exactly. And they begin to say, well, hold it just a minute. This guy says he came down from heaven. Isn't this the son of Joseph and Mary? And Jesus is going, why are you mumbling over here? Why are you guys continuing to mumble? You don't understand. Let me tell you something simple. I came down from heaven. The question should be, wow, how did he do that? We need to look into this. We need to get a hold of the Christmas story. We need to figure out how this all came together. The incarnate deity is here with us. Oh, my goodness. But instead, he says, you do not come to me and you do not seek me and you do not believe in me because you haven't responded to the father's calling in your life. But all whom the father calls will come and those who come, many will see and those who see many of those will believe and those who believe will have eternal life forever for it's the father's will. That all who see his son and believe in him should have eternal life. That's verse 40. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They begin to cry. He said, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, this is verse 51, which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. The people began arguing each other. They said, how can the man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink the blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But everyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person up at the last day. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him because of what I've done and because of who I am. And many of his disciples were struggling with this because, you see, a Jew couldn't even drink blood. They're going, how are we going to do this? This is crazy, Jesus. What are you talking about? We'll have to drink your blood. This is like, this is crazy. And Jesus said, does this offend you? And I said, yes, it offends us. He said, do you want to leave me too? Because this is then many of the so-called disciples left him. Since he would not become king, since he was unwilling to be the king they want him to be, they left him. And the other disciples turn into him and Peter says, to whom else can we turn? You're the Holy One of God. You're the one who has the words of eternal life. We believe, we know that you are God himself. Jesus taught us with miracles that he had authority of the living, that he could create or command creation. But now he says, I have authority over Life itself, I've provided it and I've secured it for each one of you. And you're not to be involved in work that spoils you to be involved in a search, a seeking, a focus after eternal life. Because it's so broad and so powerful. It begins with an understanding of who Jesus is. 
But it goes from there and just carries on and on and on. I've read the Bible every day of my life for the last 30 plus years. Ouch. 40 plus years. Every day. And every time I open it up, I go, how did I miss this? How did I not get that? This is crazy. What is in here? And eternal life opens up more and more and more. And I begin to understand the kingdom of God as God has called us to. And I'm changed because of that constant focus upon the one who transforms each one of us. Don't work for food that spoils in life. The Titanic took two years to build. It sunk in less than three hours. 1,522 people died. And as the ship went down, the musicians were playing, Nearer my God to thee. Nearer my God to thee. You see, not listening and learning from God, not focusing upon that eternal life, is like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. And your whole life is about rearranging the deck chairs. And you're about to run into an iceberg. You're going to look good. And then you're going to sink. And that's the cry of Jesus. Don't work for that food. Don't focus on that. It will spoil. It will never, ever endure. Be passionate, but not psychotic. Be annoyed, but not enraged. Be disappointed, but not despairing. Be aware but not anxious. Be motivated, but not impulsive. Work for the food that endures. The spiritual power that creates within us and changes us totally. Paul says it this way, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. It's Christ who lives in me. And the change that's happening is happening because of this stem cell life from Jesus. You guys understand this newest thing, this great thing now? They can take your own stem cells, put them back in you, and recreate growth and development. And Jesus is saying, you need to have my stem cell in you. And I have the ability to do it. I can create it in you. I can create it in you. I've already shown you I can. I'm the one who put all the atoms together. I'm the one who holds everything together. I am the one who made up the law of physics. And I can create in you a new man and a new woman. But you have to allow me to do it. You have to focus. You have to persist on eating the bread of life and drinking the blood of life and not all the other stuff that keeps going after me all the time, all the days, all the way, and brings destruction into my life rather than instruction and direction. This world is not my home, was the cry of Jesus, and it needs to be ours as well. You see, our true problem is not physical, it's spiritual. It's Zoe life that we have to have, not Vios life. Not a physical life, but a spiritual life. We're fascinated by the supernatural. Jesus, I know you are fascinated by the miracles, but you're not changed by them. You're changed by me. And I will change you if you allow me. But you need to come. You need to see. You need to believe who I am and what I have done. I want you to think about this as we put that together and prepare us for the Lord's Supper. Let's watch this little clip that will help prepare you a little bit. See, believe, and we become changed. The I am enables me to be who I am. 
he changes us so wonderfully that we find ourselves living far more by faith than by fear. We find ourselves responding far more to hope than to doubt. We find ourselves eating his bread and drinking his blood on a regular basis as we experience this walk of life, this intentional walk of life that he wants us to have daily. And we have these wonderful faith experiences. We go, look, God showed up again. It was remarkable. That's what Jesus says. Come, see, believe. And some of you are going through awful times right now. You're going, Lord, I don't feel like I'm experiencing good stuff. I'm experiencing horrible stuff. And I'm saying, yes, I understand that. And Jesus is saying, come back in. Let me renew you. And let me show you the walk that I want you to go on so that you might experience who I am, what I am, and then as you believe, who you are as well. Father, today we come to you as your children. And we would ask that you might speak to our hearts as we share in this time of communion. That you will help us not just to eat the bread and to drink this wine that declares that we love you and that we understand what you've done. But that you might supernaturally and miraculously change us. Beginning today, transform us so that our focus can be one in which we look for the life that never ends and not focus upon this life here. Lord, we understand we're not saved by chance. We're saved by intention. You have called us, so we come. You have shown us, so we see. You have directed us, so today we believe. Change us by your power. And your ability, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we all stand? We're going to go either to this section here. I'm going to ask my other.